I turn around. At night, I look in my closet, behind the curtain, and under my bed, then prop a chair in front of the door. Dear God, I don't want to go home. Beryl. September 30th. Key West. Dear M. Yesterday at Louie's, Brent came out to the porch and said the phone was for me. My heart raced as I went inside and was answered by long-distance static and the line going dead. The way that made me feel. I've been telling myself I'm too paranoid. He would have said something and delighted in my fear. It's impossible he knows where I am. Impossible he could have tracked me here. One of the waiters is named Stu. He recently broke off with a friend up north, then moved here. Maybe his friend called and the connection was bad. It sounded like he asked for a straw instead of stew. And then when I answered, he hung up. I wish I had never told anyone my nickname. I am Beryl. I am straw. I am frightened. The book isn't finished, but I'm almost out of money and the weather has turned. This morning it's dark and there's a fierce wind. I've stayed in my room because if I tried to work at Louie's, the pages would blow out to sea. Streetlights have blinked on. Palm trees are struggling against the wind. Fronds like inside-out umbrellas. The world moans outside my window like something wounded. And when the rain hits the glass, it sounds as if a dark army has marched in and Key West is under siege. I must leave soon. I will miss the island. I will miss PJ and Walt. They have made me feel cared for and safe. I don't know what I'll do when I get back to Richmond. Perhaps I should move right away. But I don't know where I will go. Beryl. Chapter One Returning the Key West letters to their manila folder, I got out a packet of surgical gloves, tucked it inside my black medical bag, and took the elevator down one floor to the morgue. The tile hallway was damp from being mopped, the autopsy suite locked and closed for business. Diagonally across from the elevator was the stainless steel refrigerator, and opening its massive door I was greeted by the familiar blast of cold, foul air. I located the gurney inside without bothering to check toe tags, recognizing the slender foot protruding from a white sheet. I knew every inch of Beryl Madison. Smoky blue eyes stared dully from slitted lids, her face slack and marred with pale open cuts, most of them on the left side. Her neck was laid wide open to the spine, the strap muscles severed. Closely spaced over her left chest and breast were nine stab wounds, spread open like large red buttonholes and almost perfectly vertical. They had been inflicted in rapid succession, one right after the other the force so violent there were hilt marks in her skin. 
Cuts to her forearms and hands ranged from a quarter of an inch to four and a half inches in length. Counting two on her back, and excluding her stab wounds and cut throat, there were twenty-seven cutting injuries, all of them inflicted while she was attempting to ward off the slashing of a wide, sharp blade. I wouldn't need photographs or body diagrams. When I closed my eyes, I could still see Beryl Madison's face. I could see in sickening detail the violence inflicted upon her body. Her left lung was punctured four times. Her carotid arteries were almost transected. Her aortic arch, pulmonary artery, heart, and pericardial sac were penetrated. She was, for all practical purposes, dead by the time the madman almost decapitated her. I was trying to make sense of it.